If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here. End of the N.A. Heat guaranteed when you press in the play Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And today I have a really special guest, uh, the NFL great gold medal winner, Mr. Ron Brown, who I call a friend as well, if I if I may. Can I call Absolutely. you a friend? Absolutely. <laughs> and a good friend at that. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. I'm super excited, man. Um, before I go on, and, and I want you to tell people a little bit about yourself and, and give a, sort of a background, but I know that you had a recent uh, bout with COVID. I want to find out how you're feeling and how that all went down. Yeah, so the COVID thing was interesting for me, man, because we do COVID testing in different schools like that. Currently, I try to stay COVID friendly, like wear the mask every day, keep my social distancing. You know, I don't do restaurants with crowds, you know, that kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, Saturday Saturday morning, I wake up, I have a little headache. And I'm thinking, okay, just a little headache, no big deal. You know, then Sunday, the same thing. And then, so I took a Tylenol, went away for a little while and and, and came back. And so my grandkids were going to come swimming during the week. So I said, well, let me just rule out COVID. I don't think I have COVID, but let me rule it out. Because I keep rapid tests at my house, you know, because my sons are around and, you know, Mm -hmm. just to try to get ahead of it. And I came back positive, man. I actually had it. Wow. And for the and so I called my doctor, he gave me a cocktail, he put me on blood thinners, he put me on steroids for the my lungs, and gave me a Z pack, which was good. So I figured, okay, well at least I'm in front of this thing. I caught it early. Day day eight nine, that thing mm-hmm. hit me then. My temperature was one hundred two, one hundred three. Wow. Um, I didn't have a, I couldn't eat anything. Jeez, man, it was terrible. My oxygen level went in the 80s. Wow. So I called the doctor. I said, Doc, this is not working. He's eat that, that cocktail's not working. I, I mean, I'm, I'm battling this thing. So he said, well, go to the hospital, you know, and I'm going to have them give you an infusion. And uh, I went over there. They couldn't do it because my oxygen level was too high. So then they admitted me into the hospital. So 
And then after that, about two days into there, they started giving me an infusion and I got better. And thank God I'm still here because some, some people's stories don't turn out like that. Yeah, thank God, man. That's that's a crazy story because you think about it, it you know, you're a pretty healthy guy. Are there some comorbidities uh, that you have that I uh, should be aware of? Is there anything we can tell people that they should do? What works, you know, what doesn't work? I, you know, um, so I went in the hospital. It was five people that had COVID that was in the hospital at the time I went in. I was, like I said, I was there for five days. When I left the hospital, it was 37 people. Wow. 10 of the 37 were fully vaccinated. Wow. And um, so, you know, I, I, I did get the, the, the vaccine. So I was thinking, you know, well, maybe now I need to go ahead and get it, though, because that experience was, you know, a little concerning for me. So I said, I, you know, maybe I'll, I'll you know, get, but I still have to wait three weeks uh, to let my body recalibrate and kind of get back on track a little bit before I'm able to get that. But um, that, that was that was I don't know what to tell people, man, because I honestly didn't think I had it up until I realized I do have it. I didn't think I did. Well, I, I and, think, I, and nobody yeah. else is sick, and I, I have no idea where I got it from. You know, uh-huh. I don't. You know, no. Like I said, I, I'm very cautious of, of my travels, and I, I have no idea where I could have got this from. Yeah, no. It's 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 interesting because I was a I was at a a group meeting, and uh, I'm vaccinated, and uh, I was sitting next to a guy who had the Delta variant, and he was sick, and he was sick. And he he came out negative for like about a week. So I felt comfortable being around him. And we're all sitting around. Everything is fine. Two days later go by and one of the guys comes back and says, everybody, oh, I just uh, I'm not feeling well. I just tested positive for COVID. So I'm like, oh, shit. I was sitting right next to him on the other side. None of us got nobody who's vaccinated actually got COVID. But the one person that wasn't vaccinated in a group, a small group, he's the only one that got COVID. So I don't know what that means. And it was and yeah, the one I don't guy know had what that means either because I've had that story told exactly the same way, that, but the other way. The only person that didn't get it was a person that wasn't vaccinated. The other two that were vaccinated ended up getting it. Yeah. But, but what, what they say, you still can get it and you still can transfer it. It just won't be as bad. It won't kill you. So, yeah, well, know, because, to me, because to me, that's that's worth the risk right there. Just so you won't end up dying behind this thing. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank God again that you're here and you're on the mend. So I'm really happy to see you. Let's uh, let's tell people. I mean, I introduced you and everything, but maybe you can tell people a little bit about uh, a little bit about yourself and background wise. And I have some specific questions for you. Oh, okay. Um, well, I was able to, you know, play several years in the NFL. I played for two teams, the Rams and the Raiders. Right. Uh, in 1984, I was blessed enough to be on the 84 Olympic team, uh, where I placed fourth in the hundred, but we actually got a gold medal and set a world record in the four by 100 relay. Hey, uh, is that the one that Carl, Carl Lewis ran uh, in, yeah, yeah, the anchor on that? Yeah. Yes, that, that was that was the one. He ended up with four gold medals, and we assisted him in getting the fourth one. So what happened was it was uh, Sam Grady to me to Calvin Smith, who was also at one time was a world record holder, to Carl Lewis. Uh, and uh, it was a great day for us, man, as God will day. have it. 
I, that's a great day. I'll never forget that. I was that Olympics was the best. I love that Olympics. Yeah, yeah, and it's coming back though. And you know? so we get a, doing a lot of interviews and talking to a lot of people. And this particular last Olympics, man, these way these guys ran that relay, man. I've had, I've had six years old do better than that. <laughs> that's that's funny. Yeah, I, I don't understand. I don't understand that at all to be on a stage like that and put that kind of performance on. I have no idea how how those guys thought they was gonna pull that off like that. Yeah, it was. It's definitely an interesting look. So let, let's roll back. Uh, where did you grow up? Um, two locations. So, so my parents divorced. So I was born. I'm from Inglewood, California, mm-hmm. and then my parents divorced. So I went out to uh, Baldwin Park, mm-hmm. a little small uh, city out about 30, 40 minutes outside of Los Angeles. Okay, and then you uh, did you play football when you were a kid? I did. I played Pop Warner football and uh, high school football. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, and you also ran track? I did. I also, yeah. So when I got my scholarship to Arizona State, I was on a dual scholarship. I was on a football and track scholarship at Arizona State. Okay. And then, so you played for the Rams, but I read somewhere, I, I read somewhere that didn't the Cleveland Browns actually draft you or? Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So I, w- I was their first pick in the second round. Right. And, uh, and, and then they traded my rights to the Rams after the Olympics. So that was, that was, be- that was after the Olympics, there was a, you were in draft and then they traded the rights to. Yeah. Rams I was drafted Canada. by the Cleveland Browns. And then in that, in that time span around the Olympics, they, they decided to trade me to the, to the Rams. So did they draft you originally to be a wide receiver or was it more like a return guy? Yes, a wide, no, a wide receiver. Got it. And that's when you ended up playing for the, the Rams as well. Yes. And then you, so you spent some time in the Rams and then you went to the Raiders. Yes, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I played, I played, I think, 90-91 season with the Raiders. Because mm-hmm. the Raiders actually were going to draft me. The Cleveland Browns had the next pick, but Al Davis had called me. Uh, and said if I wanted to play football, he was going to draft the Raiders is going to draft me uh, their next pick in the second mm-hmm. round. But then the Cleveland Browns took me. So I wanted to ask what the experience was going from the Rams. Uh, there was a certain uh, uh, you know attitude that the Rams had at the time that I remember, and then you went to the Raiders, which is a whole different type of attitude and playing you know for Al Davis. How how was that? Yeah, the attitude is mostly on the field. You know, the guys are the guys and we all get along with each other and, and that kind of thing. So you just kind of see that silver and black attitude kind of come out in our the, the way that they, the way that they play football on on the field. You know, I mean they just have a reputation for being bandits. Right. Yeah. You know, no, that's true. Akasan and Tatum and the way that those guys play. Um there was no they they didn't they didn't hold back at all. You yeah. were the enemy. Yeah, I, I I just I'm still hurt a little bit from the 1980 Super Bowl against the Eagles uh, when uh, the Raiders uh, beat him with Plunkett, I believe, uh, against Ron Jaworski. So that was uh, it was quite a, a defeat for us. But that's all right. Uh, we we came back and we won one a few years ago. So we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, so how did you get the name Speedball? The nickname uh, Jackie Jackie Slater gave me that name. Uh, our our uh, 
Hall of Famer tackle, Jackie yeah. Slater, he gave yeah. me that name. And it, it had nothing to do with, uh, you know, speedballing is a form of uh, consuming drugs in a certain way. Uh, it had nothing to do with that. No, no, no relation <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was about that you were a ball of speed. I would yeah, I would no. imagine. No, it was just it was just a uh, term of endearment, friendship name that Jackie right. Slater gave. Big name that Jackie Slater gave. So so after you retired from uh, from football, uh, what did you do as far as your next career move? I did several things. But while I was playing, I had a, uh, a car dealership and mm-hmm. we used to do custom a car, custom car dealership. We used to do mm-hmm. a lot of custom cars, Mercedes, Porsches, um, things like that. And then um, after I retired, um, we used to have a program called NFL Retired Players Congress where we represent over 20,000 former NFL players. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a license, apparel license that the NFL gave us. Um, and then with those proceeds, we help players in need uh, for health and wealth once they retire. Got it. So in that in that process of, uh, you know, helping re- retired players and the charitable work that you do, uh, did that lead you into uh, health and wellness and how to care for uh, for certain players that had all these kind of health issues after playing? Yeah, you know, a lot of guys get injured in this game, me included. The NFL has, you know, a lot of guys have career-changing uh, events on the field, like life-changing also when it comes to CTE and PTSD. But the same thing, those same kind of injuries uh, our military veterans suffer from. And so we figure that if we educate ourselves in the CBD space that can protect our uh, neural receptors and uh, assist us in um, our PTSD journey, then you know, slow time, slow down, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing some studies and stuff in that space and it's been real successful. And not only does it help my military veterans, my alumni brothers, but it also helps the military veterans as well. Right. So is that is that how you got into the cannabis space or CBD healing for the yes, most yes, part? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Got it. And uh, you also do a lot of work in uh, in the communities, right? There's charitable uh, work that you do, and you make yeah. contributions. Can you talk a little bit about that too? Yeah, yeah, we do though. So we have uh, one of the largest drug intervention programs uh, sponsored by the the mayor's office called the Grid, and uh, it's a lot of former gang members that go in different communities and and kind of stop stop a lot of kids from hurting each other, um, mm. and that's been a real successful program. Uh, for the last probably 10, 15 years, it's been going on. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I'm part of that. And then we have a, a, I have a Pop Warner team called the Crenshaw Rams that I'm part of. That's all, that's in the Snoops League. Yep. Um, that we help young kids, you know, understand the game of football. You know, understanding it's not just a sport, it's the lifestyle. So, you know, those are fun things we do. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, whatever we can do to help, you know, we help. You know, I have a drug rehab facility, and my partner over there is called Tim Chapman. It's called the Chapman House. And and one of the programs we have under the Chapman House is called Teen Savers. And we go on school campuses, and we talk to kids about making better choices. Yeah, I, I just think it's a beautiful thing because it's uh, it's so interesting to me. I, I did some work for a uh, drug rehab center called High Sobriety. 
And uh, basically what we were doing was helping people get off uh, heroin and hard drugs, what they call the soft landing. So with cannabis, basically. So they start with a sedative dose and then titrate their way down to more of a high CBD, so a maintenance dose. And I've seen a lot of people get better. You know, it's different. Different people have different ideas about sobriety, whether you just, uh, you know, 12-step and abstain, uh, don't do anything, or, you know, some plant medicine may be uh, a better choice than having, you know, some of the some of the pharmaceutical drugs or or some of the other harder drugs. So it, it all depends on, uh, you know, what the belief uh, uh, system, what you're set out, uh, what your facility does. But that's, that's an area where I had a little bit of expertise. But I think it's it's a beautiful thing to be able to help as many people as possible in the community. And also, there's a trust and authority, especially with having people that went through that before, there's a certain respect level uh that you will get from those people. It's not just like some guy in a white coat coming in and said, don't do drugs, don't do this. It's somebody kind of went through that. And I think it's much more relatable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because a lot of times it's not the message, it's the messenger. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I remember, you know, guy people came to school with the you know, the war on drugs when I was going to school and, and the, all these different programs. And I mean, I was like, you guys, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're not... You're not in the streets. You're not doing the things that we were doing as kids. So I didn't want to listen to them. But if it was somebody that I respected as an authority figure, because I remember I was really scared of uh, taking LSD. And the reason why I was really scared of taking LSD is this guy, Tony, in school. He was kind of a, you know, a semi-normal kid, uh, was a musician. And then somebody said that he took too much LSD. And this guy changed completely. And... Like he was, he was sort of uh, withdrawn, wasn't as friendly. It completely, completely changed. So when I saw that firsthand, I was like, man, I'm kind of scared of this thing because I can see the results right then and there. So if you see it in your peer group, uh, maybe it'll kind of uh, help to shake you up a little bit and, and you can relate to a little bit more. So prior, uh, prior to uh, uh, COVID, obviously, and all that, uh, have you traveled much? Not a lot of traveling, man. No. Uh-uh. That, that, that COVID thing is a real concern for me. And uh, because we're watching the numbers rise right now, too, though, you know. Oh, yeah. And, be, you know, I have a because, like I said, I have a lab. So we're doing a lot more testing now. I, I didn't understand the school testing, though, you know, yeah. because we have the rapid test, the antigen test, which will allow, which I took, which I think saved my family because I was able to screen house, which allowed me to... Uh, um, Stay away from my kids now. I'm just quarantining myself till I was able to to get to the doctor or, or or get a prescription to start treating it. But had I not done that, I would have had to wait till you know a couple of days to go to you know get get actually a COVID test, and right. then I have to wait you know 24 to 48 hours to get the results back from that. And I think the schools never did it make sense though because we would test the kids today. And then they would go on campus and then we give them the results tomorrow and let them know that they're positive. But they've been on campus all day infecting other kids and the students. I go, this makes no sense. We should at least do the screening that if they test positive, they, they either go to a different classroom or go back home. Yeah. And we still do the, the uh, PCR test to see if they're if they actually are actually positive or if it was a false positive, false negative read. But at least we know, you know. 
we have a better chance on getting in front of this thing. Some of the protocols don't make any sense to me. Even a 72 hours before you travel, that don't make any sense. Anything can happen between 72, between three days before you get on a plane. I'm like, well, what sense does that make? They should be taking the antigen test before you get on the plane. And it's Uh, a third of the price. Yeah, no, 100% agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I had, it's funny that you bring that up. So I was I was traveling to Hawaii for my birthday with my daughter. And I, I was flying to Maui and she wasn't vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. She, so we, but we both had to take a test within 72 hours, like you said. When we landed, she had to take another test. And it was a PCR test. So I go to the people administering. I said, okay, let me just ask a question. So right now she's taking this test. <clears throat> After she submits it to you, we're going to get into an Uber. From an Uber, we're going to go to our resort. In our resort, we're going to be around hundreds of people. And then 24 hours later, at the earliest, you're going to come back to us and you're going to let us know what if she was positive. Now she's around all these hundreds of people and could have affected all these other people. It makes no sense whatsoever. Right. Makes no uh, sense. Uh, we don't and, I, and, I, and I don't understand why they keep saying the vaccinated people get privileges. That makes no sense either. You still can get the virus and you still can pass the virus. Like the football team is saying, if you're vaccinated, even if you've been around somebody that was that was uh, infected, you still can come to practice. I'm thinking, OK, coach, that is not only a stupid statement. You're putting other <laughs> kids at risk. You know what I mean? And I, so they, they make a big deal about the vaccination, and I'm okay with that because I'm not a doctor. I don't understand the science behind it. But what I don't understand is is you're trying to give people that are vaccinated privileges that I think aren't warranted. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't disagree with you in certain things. We there's so many things that we don't know. But you know, from from my understanding is that when you're getting messenger RNA, what you're doing is enabling your own. Uh, immune system to create your own antibodies. So, like uh, I was talking to my my partners in Israel, and they uh, one of the partners that we have just went public in Israel. And they had a big celebration, and everybody in Israel is vaccinated now. They're in line for they're getting the third stab, and they said they had a party for eighty people. There was only and every single one of them got COVID afterwards. There was only one person that got seriously sick. And they had a bunch of comorbidities, obesity, and a bunch of other things. But the people that got the shot, the second shot, uh, closer to the party, they had no symptoms whatsoever. The people that got them early, the very, very first ones, they were way more symptomatic. So what that tells me uh, in my, like, you know, I'm not a doctor, but just as a novice, that the antibodies that you develop yourself sometimes wear off. But the closer you are to the shot, the more your own antibodies you produce. So all we need to do is there's a mutation of the virus. So the virus is going to mutate. Your immune system is going to mutate. So there's going to be deltas and alphas and thetas, and it's constantly going to be this battle. So what I think is probably going to happen is we're going to have our own antibodies. However, the virus is going to mutate. So we're going to need boosters. The same way you get the flu shot every single year, it's probably what's going to happen until there is no more hosts for the virus. That means that every single person already has it or has antibodies for it, and the virus can't travel any further. Well, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping and praying for a, a cure for it. I'm hoping that somebody comes up with a nutraceutical herb that God has on this earth that we just haven't identified yet that will actually build your immune system enough to kill the virus. That's what I'm hoping for. 
Well, I mean, it's an interesting segue because there is no incentive for big pharma to cure anything. I'm just saying. And no, it, I, I, no, no, <laughs> and I agree. And they're and telling are, me that they're telling me that the cannabinoids has a has a protection to it, not necessarily for the COVID virus, but just for viruses, period, for entering in your body. Yeah, there, there's definitely plant medicines, and we we know so little about plant medicine. There's so many different plants in the Amazon that, that exist, and phytocannabinoids are just one of them. There's so many other plants that are so beneficial and effective. Uh, when I had pneumonia and the flu, all I did was take, I have a, a Chinese herbalist, and all I did was take herbs. And I was super sick, very similar to what you're describing, 103 fever, and it's hard to breathe, and my head was... And all I did was take herbs. I took nothing else. And it was really difficult, but it took me like three, four days to get myself back. And I was feeling really bad, but took no prescription medication, just herbs. And I was like, what are the herbs? And all written in Chinese. I have no idea what they were, but after a while they worked. So there are plenty of herbs and phytocannabinoids and all these things that we can do and test that actually stimulate our own neurochemicals. That's what all the drugs do. But big pharma synthesizes all those and creates replicatable drugs from all those things. So from a business standpoint, it really doesn't make any sense for pharma to actually cure uh, anything that's uh, that's chronic. They better, they're better off creating a business where they're giving you the pills or they're giving you the shots on an ongoing basis. So uh, yes, I pray that there will be a cure but we may have to rehabilitate our entire healthcare system to incentivize for cures rather than incentivize for profit. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. All right. So I get a couple more questions for you now that you go uh, on your busy day. But uh, these are really, really difficult. So like put on your thinking cap and start uh, thinking of it as like, no, I'm just kidding. They're pretty easy. I just want to ask you about your first experience with cannabis, if you remember. Uh, we, that, this probably would have been in junior high school and when they had the dime bags, um, <laughs> you know, four fingers. They used to do that. It had stems in it and all that stuff. And you figure out how to roll it. I don't know if it was cannabis or oregano. I'm not sure. <laughs> but that was the only one. And I think a friend of mine, uh, one of my good friends bought it and, you know, we smoked it a little bit and then, then I, I didn't like it. You know, I didn't like that experience. So I stopped yeah. doing it. You know, yeah. he kept going and ended up smoking cigarettes and kept smoking, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't like the way it made me feel. So I, I passed on it. And I think my next time I was in college at one of our uh, frat parties and somebody was passing a joint and I did, you know, I hit it a couple of times then too, though. But it just it just never was something that, that interests me for some reason. You know, I was never like a smoker. Right. Well, you know, cannabis is personal experience, obviously. So sometimes it can trigger, it depends what you're smoking, as you know, from the work that we've done. In the past, but yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. So you did not have a positive experience. So you continued not. No, to it wasn't consume. that the experience was bad. It just wasn't something that I was looking forward to. You know, right. it's almost like you know you go to a restaurant and have food and it was good, but it's like you don't put it on the agenda to come back. You know, you just oh uh, yeah, whatever. You know. Yep. I so feel it was you. more like that. Then. Yeah. 
Gotcha. All right. So I'm a big music guy. Obviously, I have all this music, and I'm actually wearing an old school Run DMC shirt. For I know you're, I know you, I know you're, I know you're a West Coast guy, but I mean, I have to represent the East Coast a little bit. I, so I got my man, 1980. I, got feel, I, I heard, <laughs> I heard the Philly ego story. I got. <laughs> Do you remember uh, what was the first concert you ever attended? The first, oh, James Brown. Oh, wow. That was the really? first concert. Yeah, my dad took me to see James Brown at the Forum. Oh, man. That was a very, very, very interesting experience, though. He was a very talented guy, James Brown. 100%. Mama, come here quick. Give me that <laughs> licking split, boy. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful, man. I, I love James Brown. So, yeah. Uh do you uh, do you remember what was the first album you actually bought? The first album I actually bought. Nah, I probably don't remember that though. But I remember when I first got back into the music space was with a good friend of mine, Suge Knight, when he was starting Death Row, yeah. and uh, and we got you know the the goal was the business plan was we were going to. Uh, get Dr. Dre to produce the album. At this time, he had several platinum albums. We were going to use DOC and uh, sell a million albums and get a dollar each and make a million dollars. So that was the business plan. You know, $360 million later, but that that was the business plan. Yeah, well... So that, that, that was out. my experience from being like, the music developed up. That turned out really well. It was an interesting journey. Yeah, that was a very interesting journey. The the only, I guess, caveat, there's, there's a couple of uh, pitfalls in that plan with uh, with Suge uh, himself and also with DOC getting into that accident and all that stuff and you know not being able to. Uh, real weird, the, real weird situation, man. This dude was drunk, had an accident, hit a, hit a tree. Face first, his teeth were still stuck in the tree, and he loses his voice. Out of all the things to lose, he loses his voice because he had a very unique rapid style. Oh man, I love DOC back in the day. I actually had a, I actually had the privilege of meeting him and speaking to him uh, a few years back. We were trying; he was trying to get into the the cannabis business, so somebody connected us together. And hearing him speak on the phone. Versus like the diggy diggy doctor, you know, like like listening to him. Rap, I was like, wow, that is uh, that is a big, big difference. Yeah, big difference, big difference. Petey Pablo too was another one of the rappers that I used to like a lot. Petey Pablo, yeah, for I sure. liked his I liked his style too. For sure, for sure. Um, so one more, uh, two more questions actually. Uh, what has cannabis or CBD meant in your life? Uh well, I've made money with it. That's one thing. <laughs> then the other thing is just amazing. It's amazing how that plant actually functions. And it does so many different things, you know. Like, I lost both of my parents to cancer. And at both different times, different doctors was telling them to smoke marijuana, you know. And I was thinking, wow, that's, that's different for the doctor to be recommending. At the time, it was 100% illegal, you know, Schedule one drug. So it was like, wow, these doctors are saying, you know, to because because of the cancer and the pain and they didn't have an appetite, what it did is it allowed them to get 
the munchie. My dad didn't do it. My yeah. mother didn't either, though. But my best friend, who I, who I lost to the pancreas cancer, he did it, too. I think that was my next experience of getting high. I would smoke with him in the garage just to, you know, just to comfort him because he was battling this uh, stage four pancreas cancer. But it would have given him that appetite. You know, he would actually get the money. Yeah, quality of life uh, is definitely important. Having a, and I thought yeah. that that was, that was big. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so, sad times, you know, dealing around the cannabis plant, but, you know, I appreciate the plant and, and the instruments and how it works and help people. Yes, absolutely. I've witnessed it with autistic kids. I've witnessed it with, with kids that are having seizures. You know, I've witnessed how this plant can actually make a difference in your life. Yeah. From a beautiful. positive perspective. Beautiful thing. Okay, so last question. If you remember, please describe what your room looked like growing up. It was blue. Um, I had a had a uh, what they call a corner set because I didn't want to have a bed in the middle. So I, you know, so I had the little corner corner group. It was my room looked like a, a, a like a living room. You know, I had my television, had my phone. I was set up, man. Any any posters in the walls or anything like that? I did. I had posters. I had some football posters. Uh, I had probably three or four different posters up there in my room. I'm trying to think which ones. But I had some football posters. I had like an OJ Simpson poster up there, yeah. you know, because at the time I was a running back and I wore 32. Okay. Pop Warner coming up. So, yeah. Okay. And you just put them up with tape. You know what I mean? We didn't have refrained or nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, cool. Uh, Ron, where can people find out more about you or where can they contact you? Where can they make charitable donations to your organizations? Yeah, you can go to Players Congress. That's P-L-A-Y-E-R-S-C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S, playerscongress.com, and, and purchase a jacket. We got Laker jackets, Ram jackets. We're, we're licensed with all. Uh, Four major um, companies, yeah. NBA, MLB, NFL. Yep. Yeah, we cover them. We cover them all. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and you were gracious enough to gift one uh, for me. So I'm very, very appreciative of that. So thank yeah, you. You're, you're welcome. Um, well, I wanted to thank you. First of all, thank God that you're here. Thank God that you're healthy. And I'm always here to support whatever you need. And I really appreciate you. Much love to you. And thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Ditto, ditto, brother. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachix Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.